Well, guys, we are on week three of our series on Hope Foretold, where we've been looking at promises that were foretold in the Old Testament long before Jesus ever arrived on the scene that are now fulfilled in the New Testament when Jesus does arrive on the scene. And the first week, we looked at the prophecy given by God in Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, where God promised that someone who would be the offspring of a woman would come and fix this mess that was made by man. And uh, how sin had separated the mankind, and, and this someone was going to come and fix all that. And in the process, crush Satan's head. And we saw that fulfilled in the baby Jesus, who eventually went to the cross to pay the penalty of sin, and he triumphed over the kingdom of darkness, and now Jesus holds the keys of death itself. A pretty cool thing to think of. Then last week, we took the time to look at the prophecy of Jesus being born of a virgin. And we talked about how this miracle is often debated and actually denied, flat out rejected by so many people and even churchgoers themselves. Um, But as I mentioned last week, we cannot and we must not reject this truth. Because if we do, there's dire consequences to it. You see, by denying the virgin birth, if we throw out the virgin birth, the reality is, is that we would just basically need to disregard all the miracles we read about in the Bible. Because we just can't pick and choose what miracles we want to keep and what are just allegories and metaphors and all that. We just need to throw them all out. And another thing, if we deny the virgin birth, we might as well strip Jesus of his divinity and while we're at it, strip him of all of his sinlessness. Which, guys, if we do that, then Jesus is just a man. And his death on the cross means nothing. And if we do that, if that's the case, then you and I can experience salvation. Salvation from sin and death. And quite honestly, guys, things would be pretty hopeless if we were to throw out the virgin birth. We'd have nothing to celebrate this Christmas. So, followers of Jesus Christ, when the Bible tells us that Jesus was born of a virgin, he was born of a virgin. There's a reason why he was. And God said it would happen hundreds of years earlier in the book of Isaiah, and he accomplished it through the obedience of a young woman by the name of Mary. And uh, it's an awesome story. And guys, the truth be told, with God, nothing is impossible. Amen? Okay, today's prophecy, we're going to be looking at the foretelling of his birthplace and why that's unique um, where he was born. But to do that, I want to back way up to... And briefly tell you a story that many of you guys probably remember from a series we did in the summer, um, not this summer, but the previous summer, where we talked about the life of Moses. Now, if you remember, this summer we talked about Joseph, and, and you remember how Joseph invited his entire family down into Egypt because there was a famine all across the land? And so they all moved down there. Well, over the years, I think it was like 400 years, that family multiplied and multiplied and multiplied to where there were millions of Israelites living in Egypt. And it got to the point where the the present-day pharaoh of that time started to get a little nervous with all these Israelites because he's like, my word, if these guys want to revolt against us, they could just pick up arms and they could take us over and they would would own Egypt. And so that pharaoh of the time, he decides, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put them, make them all slaves and any little baby boy that is born, we make them put them to death, throw it into the Nile River, and that's how we'll keep our thumb down on them. And so that's what they did. And the people of, of the Israelites were crying out to God because they were in such you know, distress. And God heard their prayer. And he sent them a guy by the name of Moses. 
And he was going to use Moses as the instrument to set the, the people free. So Moses goes to, to Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, you know, God tells you to let his people go. And Pharaoh's like, I'm not going to let people go. You know, why? You can't make me. And so God basically was saying, okay, I'm going to bring a plague down upon your people. And he did that. And Pharaoh's like, okay, I'll let him go. And changed his mind. Nope, I'm not going to let him go. And it was just back and forth, plague after plague after plague after plague. To eventually, God tells Moses, he says, Moses, listen, this last plague, the Egyptians are going to beg you to leave. They're going to make you leave. It's going to be they, it's going to be such a miracle that the, I mean, it's going to be, bring such devastation upon them that they're going to ask you to leave and they're going to give you all their gold and silver and say, just go. He says, here's what I'm going to do. On a specific night, the angel of death is going to pass over the land of Egypt. And anyone who doesn't do what I tell you to do, their firstborn son is going to die. He says, but here's what I want you to do. Tell everyone to take a firstborn lamb. Okay, take this little lamb, and it has to be blemish-free, it has to be spotless, it has to be perfect, and I want you to take that lamb, kill it, and take the blood of that lamb, and brush it all over the doorpost of your house. Anybody who does that, the angel of death will come over, and he will pass over your house, and no one will die in that household, but if anybody doesn't have that blood on the doorpost, their firstborn son will die. So, that happened. And that night, many of the Egyptians didn't listen to God. They didn't do what he told them to do. And sure enough, there was all this mourning and all this death and weeping. And the Egyptians basically said, get out of our land. And they kicked them out and says, take our silver, take our gold. And miraculously, God orchestrated the setting free of his Israelite people from the hand of the Egyptians. And it's this, this amazing story. Well, God goes to Moses and he says, Moses, listen, I want you to celebrate this Passover on a yearly basis. Every year, I want you to celebrate this Passover, have a big meal, and celebrate everything that I did. And I want you to you know, take a, a lamb, and you're going to use this lamb for the Passover, sacrifice them in the temple, and you're going to remember what I did for my people in Israel, how I set them free from slavery. So that's what they did. They did that every year. For centuries, the Israelites would celebrate this Passover, Passover celebration. Now, I want you to tuck that story in the back of your mind. Just put it there. We're going to talk about that later. And let's talk about today's prophecy, which we find in the book of Micah. Now, Micah is the part of your Bible that most people have never read before. It's probably the pages are still stuck together because it's brand new. It's like, you're like, oh, man, I've never looked at this part. But in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says this. O Bethlehem, I have a hard time with this word. Ephrathatha or whatever. Does anybody know how to say that? Ephrathah? Is that how it is? Oh, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are but a small Judean village. Yet you will be the birthplace of my king, who is alive from everlasting ages past. All right. Now, as I read that, there might have been some of you who went, ooh, I've heard that before. And you're right, because if you remember the story of the wise men, the wise men saw this great star in the western sky, and they knew, man, that signifies that a, a great king has been born. And so they pack up, and they head across the country to go worship this king. Now, when they showed up in Jerusalem, they began going around the city saying, hey, where is this king that was born? We want to know where this king is. And it was causing quite a stir in Jerusalem. Everybody's like, what are you talking about? Where is this? What are you talking about? And eventually, word got to King Herod. And when King Herod about, heard about it, he got all troubled because he's like, man, I'm the king here. Who's this other king that was born? I want to know about it. 
So he gathers all the chief priests and all the scribes, and he asks them, he says, listen, tell me, in the scriptures, does it talk about a king who's going to be born? And if it does, where is he going to be born? And so the scribes and the chief priests, they come back to him, they say, yeah, listen, the prophet Micah tells us that a king, this king is going to be born in Bethlehem. And they quote this very passage found in Micah. And you know how the rest of the story goes. Herod tells the, you know, the wise man, he says, listen, go find this king. Let me know where he's at because I want to worship him. But in the back of mind, actually, he wanted to put this, this little baby to death. And so you guys know how that goes. But the point I want you to see is that this prophecy was really kind of well known. It was known that this promised Messiah, the king of kings, would be born in this tiny little village called Bethlehem. Which is interesting, isn't it? I mean, because of all the magnificent, beautiful cities in the world, I mean, some gorgeous locations where towns and cities are at, the Bible tells us that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to be born in this tiny, little, insignificant village called Bethlehem. Just a little town in the middle of the country. Now, here is the problem. Joseph and Mary were not from Bethlehem. They were from Nazareth, which was way north. So for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem, something out of the ordinary was going to have to happen. Because it, wasn't, it wouldn't, wouldn't happen that Jesus would accidentally be born in Bethlehem. Because, you know, that might happen nowadays, where like if someone was nine months pregnant, you know, because of the invention of cars, if you were nine months pregnant, you may say, you know what, I'm going to go shopping down at Gurney Mills. And do some Christmas shopping. You go down and you're shopping away. Suddenly you start getting all these, you know, birth pains. And you're like, oh my word, it's coming right now. They rush you to the hospital. And your little baby Joey is born in Illinois. Which means he has to be a bear fan. And it just gets messy. So it's all, it's all messy. But that could happen. But not back then. It's not like Moses, you know, Joseph and Mary are going to like, hey, let's go hike down to Bethlehem. It's only 90 miles. No. They were, they were in Nazareth. So something would have to be orchestrated. Something sovereignly would have to be ordained. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. Caesar Augustus decided, hey, I want to know how many people are in my kingdom. And so I'm going to require, I'm going to declare that a census has to be taken. And I want to count everybody. Because I want to sit back and just be like, well, sweet daddy, I got all these people in my kingdom. So you have to go back to your place of origin to be counted for the census. And I can imagine in Mary and Joseph, they were from the lineage of David, so they would be required to go back to Bethlehem to be counted in Bethlehem. And I can imagine Mary being like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Why in the world do I have to go all the way down to Bethlehem when I'm nine months pregnant? And I'm, you know, just, just no, this, this rich guy sits on his throne. He doesn't understand us poor people, what we have to go through. But they do it. And, and travel was hard back then. It was treacherous. It was dangerous. And it had to be extremely hard for an expectant mother to go. And apparently that would have taken like four to five days for them to make it. And apparently the last leg, the journey from Jericho to Bethlehem, was like a 3,500-foot ascent. It was that you had to climb up to get to it. And imagine Mary having to hike that while expecting a child. And you might be sitting here like, well, Luke, she was on a donkey, so it would have been fine. We don't know that. The Bible doesn't tell us that Mary was on a donkey. We just see that on Christmas cards. And we're like, oh, she must have had a donkey then. No, it's not in Scripture. She probably had to walk it. But they did it. 
God arranged all these things to ensure that his son would be born in the right place at the right time. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, why all this focus on Bethlehem? Why Bethlehem? Why this little village with seemingly no significance at all? Well, there may be many reasons as to why he was born in Bethlehem, many that I don't even know about, um, lineage of King David and all that sort of stuff. But one reason that stands out to me that to me is not a coincidence, and I think God knew all these little nuances and worked all these little details out, but not sure if you knew this or not, but Bethlehem is a place where shepherds would raise the lambs that would be used in the sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem. So the male lambs that were born in Bethlehem were to be used exclusively in the temple. So they were set aside for the morning sacrifices. They were set aside for the burnt offerings. The female lambs were set aside for the peace offerings. However, the most common usage for these lambs that were born in Bethlehem were, listen to this, to be used for the Passover celebration. Okay? The lambs that were killed and sacrificed to celebrate and remember this Passover celebrations. And the shepherds in the whole Bethlehem area, the surrounding area of Bethlehem, were the shepherds that raised and cared for these little lambs. And when I say cared for these little lambs, they cared for them. Okay? Because remember, these lambs had to be perfect, blemish-free, no broken bones. They had to be perfect for this sacrifice. Say no deformity, no defect, absolutely perfect. So these shepherds literally lived with these animals. They, they watched over them by night and by day. They didn't just put them in the pasture to graze and say, hey, live your life, I'll see you when I feed you. No, they, they lived with them. And, and these men were designated you know, at a very young age to be the men that would watch over, keep watch of these temple flocks. It was a very serious task, and it was... It required a lot of diligence and attention, you know, day in and day out. Now, one of their tasks that they would do is that when the lamb was born, obviously the, the lamb had to be blemish-free without spot or any deformity or anything. According to the Mishnah, which the Mishnah is this um, authoritative collection of Jewish laws and traditions, according to the Mishnah, these lambs, as soon as they were born, these Passover lambs, were immediately wrapped in swaddling cloths to protect them from injury, because I guess these lambs can get all, you know, thrash around and maybe bruise themselves or break legs or whatever. But they would, be, they would swaddle these little lambs to calm it down and protect it from hurting itself, um, which if they did hurt himself, it would make it unusable for the sacrifice. So these shepherds did this for every lamb. So these shepherds were very accustomed to the term swaddling, okay? Now, I share all this because I find it interesting that when the angel shows up at night in Bethlehem, tell me, who does he show up to? To the shepherds, exactly. To a group of shepherds, shepherds who are watching their flock by night. And who are these shepherds? The very shepherds I've been talking about. The ones who raise and take care of these Passover lambs used for the sacrifices in Jerusalem. Okay, um, This is who the angel chooses to tell the news of this newborn king. And he gives them some very clear details about this king. Notice what he says in Luke 2. He says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for how many people? Who does that leave out? 
Nobody. That includes us. This is great news for us. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, notice the angel says this is going to be a sign for you. It's automatically assumed that these shepherds are going to go looking for this king. They want to find him. And so the angel gives them some signs. Now, signs are physical things that we see that help us realize, okay, this is what I'm looking for. Um, and, and they help us tell us that we're on the right track. It's a little bit like, I'm just speaking generalities here, but it's a little bit like a man or a woman giving directions. <laughs> Typically, when a man gives directions, they'll say, all right, out of the parking lot, you can turn right on Delsman Road, go down to DR, turn left on DR, go down to high, Highway 67, turn right on 67 until you get to 18. Turn left on 18, go about 2.3 miles, and you can turn right on Waterville Road. And that's how men give directions. Women is completely different, usually, generalities. Women will be like, you're going to go down the road till you see like this beautiful blue building. They've got like this, I don't know, some special siding there. Turn left there till you go down, just keep going. I don't know how long it is till you see this big, beautiful palm tree, okay? Keep going, keep going until you come till there's a, there's a Texaco gas station. Turn right at the Texaco gas station, and you're going to make this big turn, and there's like this beautiful yellow house. They just put a roof on it, so if you don't know who lives there, but just, you're going to go right past there till you get, and that's how they explain it. They give you all these signs. That's what it's like. But signs are physical. In other words, this is what you need to look out for. And this angel gives these shepherds some signs, okay? He says, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, these shepherds knew exactly what swaddling cloths were. They used them all the time. But I don't think that would have been something so out of the ordinary because everything that I've researched on the area of swaddling is that was a common practice for babies in those days. Swaddling back then consisted of, they would, there was this cloth that apparently was four to five inches wide, uh, made out of like linen or cotton or whatever, that was about 18 feet long, okay? And when a baby was born, the midwife would take salt and pulverize it into this fine powder, and it would mix this salt, they would take the umbilical cord, cut it, and tie it in a knot, and they would rub this salt on the umbilical cord, then they would take oil, which I'm sure it was young living essential oil, that they would wipe all over the body of this, this baby, and they'd take those cloths and they would wrap it tightly around that baby all the way. It looked like a little mummy when they were done, but that's that, those strips kept that newborn child warm and comforted. So obviously, when it comes to the birth of Jesus, we, the Bible doesn't tell us there was a midwife involved, but Mary, you know, she would have known all those details, so um, I'll bet you she did probably do the whole salt and oil, and she used swaddling cloths. So we can assume that she did that with Jesus. But a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths was not something out of the ordinary. The out of the ordinary sign was that the baby was going to be lying where? In a manger. In a feeding trough. Okay? That would, I mean, I don't even know how we would make that connection, you know, to use it in our day and age. But to say, listen, there's a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths in a feeding trough. That's how you know you're going to find the right baby possibly in a place where other Passover lambs were born and swaddled themselves. 
So the shepherds, they head out. They want to find this baby, this savior, this king that the angel told them. And so when they do, this is what they encounter. Verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph, not just Mary, like the nativity scene, Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, notice it's, it dropped one of the signs off with there, the swaddling cloth. Obviously, the baby was wrapped in swaddling cloth, but most importantly, this baby was lying in a feeding trough, in a manger, just like the angel had told them. Now, let's see if we can tie this all together. I know you're probably like, Luke, you're so disjointed this morning, it's not making any sense. Let's try to tie this together. And to do that, I want us to fast forward many years into the life of Jesus. When Jesus was starting his ministry, there was a guy by the name of John the Baptist, And John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus Christ. He was, in a sense, blazing the trail, laying the pathway for Jesus to come and do his ministry on this earth. And one day, Jesus was walking towards John, and John looks up, and recognizing who it was, he says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the what? Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of God of the world. John sees Jesus and he goes, that, that person right there is the Lamb of God. Isn't that interesting? Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.19. Peter's making his analogy. He says, listen, you, you, aren't, you weren't purchased, you weren't redeemed, purchased with money, silver or gold, things that pass away, but with the blood of Jesus. This is what he says. It was not a ransom payment of silver or gold, which eventually perishes, But the precious blood of Christ, who like a spotless, unblemished lamb, was sacrificed for us. Peter refers to Jesus as a spotless, unblemished lamb that was sacrificed for us. Look at what the Apostle Paul says about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he goes, Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you are, as you really are. For Christ... Our what? Passover lamb has been sacrificed. The Apostle Paul likens Jesus to the Passover lamb. Now, these are just three passages, but there are many passages referring to Jesus as the lamb of God. But why in the world would Jesus be called the lamb of God? Well, I'm hoping that you're seeing and you're starting to connect the dots that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover celebration. Jesus, just like a perfect firstborn male lamb that was killed and his blood was put on the doorpost to save the people in the house, and the angel of death would pass over, Jesus, the same is true of Jesus, Jesus is the Lamb of God. That spotless, unblemished, perfect, sinless Lamb of God who is our Passover lamb. And his body was broken, and his blood was shed, so that we could be rescued and set free. Now that's why at the Last Supper, now tell me, third service, when they were at the Last Supper, what were they celebrating? They were celebrating the Passover, and Jesus turns to his disciples, he breaks a piece of bread, and he goes, this is my body, broken for you. He takes the cup, and he goes, this is my blood, the new covenant in my blood. And basically what he's saying, he says, listen... What you're seeing right now is that I am the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. What you're looking at, you know, this this meal that you celebrated year after year after year, I'm the fulfillment of it. 
Why? Because I'm the one that will rescue you from your slavery. Not slavery to Egypt, but slavery to sin. Because this sin has set you apart from God. This sin has prevented you from having communion with God. I'm here to rescue you, to take you out of the kingdom of darkness and place you into the kingdom of light. I am your Passover lamb. Amen? So what I'm wanting you to see is that 700 years before Christ was born, hope was foretold by the prophet Micah of a king to be born in a village of Bethlehem, a place where Passover lambs were raised. Now, is it coincidence that Jesus was born in a place where these lambs were raised? I don't think so. And whether the shepherds connected the dots or not, here's the truth of the matter, and I think this is so, so cool. That little baby lying in the manger was the true Passover lamb. And the shepherds, whose job it was to raise and care for these Passover lambs, got to be the first people of the entire world to see the true Passover lamb. Isn't that cool? And I don't know about you, but that to me shows how incredibly awesome it is for God to pay attention to the details in the orchestration of sending his son. This baby, who was promised centuries and centuries earlier, was going to be the one who would crush Satan's head, who would fix this mess that sin had brought into the world. Who would, who would repair what sin, the death that sin had brought. This baby, miraculously born of a virgin, was going to be the true Passover lamb who was sent by God to rescue us from our sin and set us free from the slavery of it. This birth, guys, I want you to see, sent shockwaves throughout the universe because this was a birth unlike any other birth. This birth signified a hope that had entered into the world that would bring joy to all mankind, and that includes you and me. This hope that was foretold centuries and centuries ago was Jesus, the baby who was literally and truly grace in a manger. Amen? Amen. 